That is the book we are in this morning. Uh, and if you uh, are visiting, please connect with myself or any of our staff um, outside when you're done here so we can give you a little gift and we can answer any questions that you might have. Uh, and so I want to make sure that you know about that. Uh, my name is Amy. If I didn't say, I am part of the staff here. I work in that office right over there. It's a secret door. See? Over there. You didn't know it was over there, did you? It's an entrance. Secret. Well, there is an emergency exit over there as well. If there is a fire, that is where you need to go. Um, I want to share with you just a couple things that are happening this fall. And one of them is this coming Saturday. I mentioned this last week. It is our fall brunch. Uh, for the Children's Church. And so Abby Casey, our director, is in charge of this. Uh, she wants to share with you the vision that she um, has been given from God for 2024. And so if you are a volunteer in Children's Church or interested in volunteering, or if you just have a kid that goes there every Sunday and you want to know more about the program and why they do the program they do, then you want to attend the brunch. All right, so that's this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. in Ray Hall next door. Uh, something else that's also coming up is our turkey shoot. So if you don't know about our turkey shoot, you're about to. It is on Sunday, November 18th, so this is a little uh, month out. This is at the Boca Shooting Range. You'll see from this slide that no turkeys are harmed during this event. No live animals are a part of this event. Uh, and so don't get the wrong idea. But we do uh, go out to the Boca Shooting Range. Um, children can come, your families can come, there's food. There's an opportunity to shoot at targets, win prizes. I think they're frozen turkeys. I think those are the prizes. Um, yeah, is that funny? Yep. Uh, but that turkey shoot is coming up. So just mark it on your calendar. We do want you to register. We want to know who's going to be there. Uh, we want to make sure we have enough food and bullets for you. All right. Uh, also, if you haven't heard, on November 5th, we are having our SPC meet and greet, where you, as a new member or visiting person, or maybe you've been here for the last couple of years, but you haven't like felt, you haven't had time or haven't had the opportunity to connect with our, our pastoral staff, this is for you. And so on November 5th, after second service, 1230, in Ray Hall, we're going to have lunch, and you can come, and you can meet Pastor Jesse if you haven't met him already have a really, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. There'll be a line. You can make a line, and then you can each have a two-minute conversation with Pastor Jesse. Yeah, okay. Um, so that is our SBC meet and greet, and I won't drink your water, but I need it. With that, was there anything else on those? No. Okay, let's move on. Um, I do want to mention, before Jamie Briber comes up here, if I can, because my throat's dry, that this never happens to me. Okay, I got it. Erin Lynn, if you don't know her, she was up here a couple weeks ago. She's been a part of our church for a, a, long, a long time, many years. She's done nine in Bethlehem. If you don't know, she is moving. And she's moving to the East Coast to take care of her family. And with that, we're having a going away party for her. And so that is this coming Thursday. So we'd love for you to be here. One thing you don't actually have to register for, you could just show up. And so on Thursday night in Ray Hall, we would love to have you to send off Erin Lynn um, to her next chapter in life. And so keep, 
it's a potluck. You need to bring something. <laughs> we're, you know, we're a community, and we give and we take. Um, so please, if you can bring a side dish or dessert, that would be amazing. And with that, I'm going to have Jamie Brimer come up to announce something that only he can announce. So I don't think we've actually ever invited women to do help with the snow shoveling until I read Proverbs 31. <laughs> so congratulations for the Bible, right? Hey, we're uh, in Ephesians 5. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. And I uh, see Brad back there and a couple guys here. Just keep your hand up. We'll make sure we get you one. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. We've... We will conclude this book probably here soon, and by the time we enter into Advent, I just want to say a couple things real quickly. Uh, one is, um, first of all, you know, we've been making uh, an emphasis of Children's Church next door, and I just want to double down on that again. There is a great need over there. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago they actually shared with me just how overwhelmed they are. This is just the reality of where we're at as a church. Uh, we, we, every single problem we have as a church is because we have grown. And that is a great thing. That's a good thing. Uh, and I, I just thank the Lord for that all, because I'd rather be navigating those kind of problems than trying to navigate how do we get people through the door and how do we encourage people in our day and age to continue to have babies. Uh, we, we, we catch babies here like we catch COVID. So it's, it's a really, it's a good thing. Uh, someone walked by that room the other day, and boom, pregnant. Just that's what happens. Um, 
We do need help over there in addition to some of the other things that are obviously happening at the church. And one of the dynamics that's occurred over the last couple years for us, and this is just me being pastorally honest with you, uh, and it can, it can look when you walk in here, whether it's in the first service or maybe even more so in the second service, hey, SBC doesn't have a whole lot of needs. Everything seems to run really well. Uh, and I can tell you over the last few years, in some ways that's, that, that is true, but in other ways it just simply isn't. We put on a, a really good face, if you will. Uh, and that is to say that, that over the last few years since COVID, what we have experienced is uh, this mass migration of people obviously leaving the area uh, and then a bunch of new folks coming into the area. And, and really that generation of, of folks who are uh, more mature than some of us that have always had a really uh, clear understanding of what it is to serve the body, they've moved on. And so we've had some big gaps to fill. And then the other dynamic, which we're just honest about, because I'm part of this dynamic, is so many of us do have multiple kids. I have four kids. We're just kind of coming out of that phase where, where you know, none of them are wearing diapers. We were in a phase where I think we had three or four of them in diapers at one time. And, and that is a hard kind of—it's it's tough. If, if, you, if you've been there, you know it's, it's, it's tough to raise four kids, have a job, care for your family— uh, and then and then the church says, oh, hey, serve as well. And so we just recognize that some of you are just overwhelmed trying to take care of your kids, your homeschooling, uh, and we just appreciate that and want you to know that we love you and we understand that. But it is just that dynamic that, you know, this year, for instance, we're <clears throat> doing two things which we haven't done in a while. One, we, we've done a trunk or treat event, which has been one of the larger events in Truckee for over the last few years. That's on hiatus uh, this year because of the lull in volunteers. And then the same for Night of Bethlehem, uh, Aaron's moving on, and some of those bigger events. But can we also just say, our elders, we just spent actually a few days together, uh, and we were di discussing, you know, what does God have for us for the future, and what, what does the Lord want to do? And really where we landed on in light of that, just to encourage you with all of that stuff that I just said, the, the church has always had a major focus that on, on gathering preaching God's word, worshiping together, communing together. And at the end of the day, the role of the church and the job of the church is for the church to gather and worship God. And that is not a difficult thing to do, right? We don't have to have all the bells and whistles, but, but we should continue to gather and love one another. And we'll always provide that. Amen? Um, so with that said, I, I've been in this series uh, purposefully, we've spent the last three weeks in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 on marriage. And I do understand that marriage is inapplicable for all of you. And I do understand that the topic of marriage for some can be uh, very difficult. Some of you are in the room this morning and you're single. And you were like me so many years ago in my early 20s as a young Christian guy going to a, a really large church and praying for the Lord to give me a bride, to give me that kind of Proverbs 31 gal. And it took a little while to get there. In fact, I remember uh, struggling through my singlehood for a, a brief period of time and praying to the Lord that he would take away my desire for marriage because I felt like it was just such a distraction. And I heard the Lord tell me essentially, Jesse, I'm not going to take that desire away until you learn to come to me for all things. And what the Lord was sharing with me was that that desire, he, in essence, he, he allowed it in my life so that I would go to the Lord. He's a jealous God. He wants to be with you 
as his child. And that's what we've said and have seen within this passage that when we think of marriage, marriage is supposed to be a proclamation of the gospel. That's why it says, it says in this place in verse 32, which is really the key to the passage, that the entirety of what he's speaking about in regards to submission and respect and love within marriage is to be a reflection of the gospel, that, that ultimately marriage is to declare the goodness of God, that in marriage we forgive and we give grace. But ultimately, everything in here is talking about you, whether you're married or not. And so take courage if, if you are uh, not married this morning or if your marriage is struggling, all of these things still apply. Christ is the groom and we are his bride. And, and as the groom, he has done everything that is already necessary for the purification of the bride. He has given men the respect and value that they need that only can come from him. And he has given the woman all of the love and adoration that she fully needs. And when we understand this inside of the context of marriage, we begin to recognize that, that there is no spouse that can fill the ultimate need that we have within our hearts. Husbands, if you need value and respect and you look to your wife to give it to you, she will fail you and you will find yourself in a place of need. But when you find that value from the Lord, anything that she's able to give you is a bonus. And likewise for the spouses in the room that are wives, that, that Christ has given you all of the love that is necessary. Your husband does not have the capacity to love you fully as Christ loves the church. It's just not possible. He has too much fragility into him, too many mistakes that he can make. And so, so we have to see, even for the gals in the room, right, that Christ is your ultimate husband. And so this morning, this morning what we're going to do uh, is last week I kind of talked about the overall picture of the wife. And now this morning, what we call the spirit-filled wife or the, the gospel work of the wife within marriage. Now this morning, I want to talk about the gospel work of the husband. Uh, and so I get to beat up on the dudes this morning. And what I enjoy about this a little bit more than last week is as a guy, I feel much more free to do that uh, than I did last week. Last week, I felt like I could really get myself in trouble. Uh, here, anything I say negative about men, I'll just get a great email from a wife saying, thank you for, for saying what I've been trying to say for the last however long, right? I want to share a couple things. <clears throat> Actually, let me, let's get in, let's, let's read scripture first. Would you stand with me if you're able to uh, this morning? And for time's sake, we will read just the context of what we're reading again. Uh, again, I think it is important if you haven't heard the first message, uh, I think that's probably the, the better one out of all of them that I will have preached simply because of the overall context of the passage. So uh, I think it's important that you do know that context, which is that this is about the gospel. But then because of the gospel, there is a gospel work for the wives and now the gospel work or the spirit-filled husband. If you remember it tells us in verse 18 of chapter 5 not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And last week we discussed that really none of these things can be done without the Spirit's help. So verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having her cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love 
their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Lord, we trust you that you would speak beyond the culture, beyond our present circumstances, and you'd let the word be what you desire it to be. The thing that washes us clean and brings us to yourself that we would know you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to know you more this morning. We trust you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Now, let's just say, when we talk about marriage, marriage is not valued in our culture as it used to be. Can we all agree on that? Uh, In fact, uh, I read a statistic this week, 40% of millennials don't even believe in the institution of marriage any longer. Basically, we're now becoming a post-Christian nation that doesn't believe in traditional values, let alone biblical values. Uh, This is seen even in the ridiculousness, if you were to to watch kind of the spectacle that that is the news or the spectacle that is social media, that whenever you see celebrities get married, you ultimately know, well, that's not going to last very long. And I came across as I was studying just a couple interesting things to show how important kind of marriage is. When someone gets married nowadays, if they get married at all, they typically enter into something that's called a prenup. Have you heard of this? Now listen to some of these actual prenuptial agreements for marriages. Just think if you were to establish yourself for a moment with this kind of foundation as your marriage. In one prenup, in-laws were... In-law issues were covered in one prenup, bearing the mother-in-law from sleepover visits. In the prenuptial agreement, it encouraged one husband to curb his tongue around the in-laws, and if he didn't, the consequences were he had to pony up $10,000 each time he was rude to his wife's parents. I don't know what kind of reality someone's living in where you can find your spouse... 10 grand for saying the wrong thing. And one prenuptial agreement and included a $500 fine for each excess pound the wife gained. Not my prenuptial agreement. One wife added for her husband a maximum weight stipulation of 180 pounds. I wasn't that big since junior junior in high school, so Another prenuptial husband's weight should not exceed 180 pounds, and if it does, he must pay the wife $5,000 for every additional pound annually until he gets back to the target weight. In another prenuptial agreement, there was a limit of one Sunday night football game per month for the husband and a limit of one season of The Bachelor and Bachelorette per year for the wife. 
all of which must be washed from the den or the bedroom, not occupying the largest TV in the house. Now, I'd mentioned some of these things as ridiculous as they are because really it just kind of explains the overall attitude of the culture towards marriage. We shared three weeks ago that marriage, along with our relationship with Christ, is a covenantal relationship. It is not a contractual relationship. In a contractual relationship, that is what these prenups represent. You do your part, and I do my part. But we recognize within the relationship of Christ that we really have done nothing in our covenant with Christ but bring sin to the table. There is not one person in this room that will ever marry a perfect person. There's not one individual here that is ever going to have an easy marriage. In fact, the Bible literally teaches he that is married will have many troubles in this life. It's not to say that that one shouldn't get married or that marriage should be avoided, but rather marriage in and of itself is actually one of the most beautiful things that God has given mankind. All the way back in the beginning of Genesis, we, we can't help but see that every time God makes or designs something, he says it is good. But once he makes Adam and Adam is all alone, there is no declaration of that it is good until Eve is brought along. And then he brought for him someone that was a companion, someone from his side, someone that is made also in the image of God that is unique and different in many ways, but still exactly the same in the sense that God's love and affection are for both and that both represent the goodness of God. And last week we shared how how difficult it can be for a wife to submit, but the wife has to, along with the husband in verse 21, is that we, we see we have to submit to one another, that submission cannot ultimately occur unless one understands the great submission that Christ has already done on your behalf. He submitted himself to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He, he knew that his submission to the Father would bring about great reconciliation. And likewise, as we submit to one another, it is one of the greatest ways in which we can bring forgiveness towards one another. I submit to you, which is basically to declare, I give myself up, my rights up for your benefit. And now this morning, we see within the text that it's the same kind of commandment as submission. Husbands is the precept here. Love your wife. What does this mean? That's what I hope to kind of describe to you this morning and, and tease out from the text of what does it mean for a husband to actually love his wife? Something has occurred for me in the last several months, and, and that is the reality. As much as I love theology and doctrine and have sh- really strive to, to, to educate myself to the best of my ability to be as biblically sound as one can possibly be, But over the last several months, I I can't help but see within the text, not only in Ephesians, but also in so many other places within the Gospels and so many other places within the pastoral epistles, that one of the most important precepts in all of the Bible is that simple commandment that we are to love one another. That if we don't have love, Paul tells the very immature Corinthian church that it is immature in part in 1 Corinthians 13 because it doesn't know how to love each other. 
And likewise, this is one of the greatest commandments in all of the Bible. Love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. And love your neighbor also. Now, husbands, who is your closest neighbor? But your spouse, your wife. This call to love is quite difficult. And then when we enter again into the difficulty of the culture in which it doesn't have any idea of what real love is, you can simply drive by my street on the way to my house and you'll come across one particular house that has a great sign out front to declare to the world that love is love. This is the cultural definition, which, which if you know why that sign exists, it is to state that as long as you love somebody, well, then it's okay to do whatever the heck it is you want to do. Does that apply to children? Pedophilia? Bestiality? Love is not love. Love must be defined by something, and it is defined for us by the life of Christ and by Scripture itself. Love is not love. Love is defined specifically by what God says love is. It's not what humanity wants it to be. Again, I came across another article this week as I was studying this and came across a, a nice little survey of, of what love is defined by children. One child said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. One young girl said, just see if the man picks up the check. That's how you can tell he's in love. Six-year-old Mark says, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> but I think Rebecca, age eight, got it best when she said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. It's a sacrificial kind of love. If we're to be spirit-filled within our marriages as men, we have to see that the commandment that God brings to us is the commandment to love. And the kind of love that is commanded here is an agape kind of love. An unconditional, irrevocable love. The word here is a verb, it's action. And it's a verb that, that is defined not by feeling, but by a choice that one makes. It's the covenant that keeps people in love, not love that keeps the covenant. See, in our culture, we have, we have decided really that love is like groceries. Love is consumeristic. If you love me, I will love you back. If you treat me well, I will treat you well. That is not the gospel definition of love. The gospel definition of love is I love you no matter what because of who God has made you to be because I, I made promises when I stood before God and witnesses. Why is it that a public marriage is still valued amongst the Christian church? Because we stand before God and we stand before our brothers and our sisters and we make a declaration but before those witnesses that I promise to love you do you remember the statements? The future promises? When one stands at the altar, hopefully they are healthy and they are well, and they begin to make promises such as, I'm with you in sickness and in health. I'm with you for richer or for poor. 
The conditions don't matter. The emotions don't matter because I've made a commitment to you. The first thing that we have to see in regards to the definition of what love here, if you take a look at verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Just so you know, within these verses, six times that word love is mentioned. It's repetitive and it's repetitive on purpose. The first aspect of love that we can see in Christ, and this is for the husbands in the room. This is for wives to be praying for their husbands. This is for fathers to be teaching their young children that we are to have a humble love. A humble kind of love like Christ. He washed the feet of the disciples. The husband should be the first one to apologize, the first one to forgive, and the first one to serve. He is to exemplify to his wife the full lifestyle of Jesus Christ. And if you take note, what was the ultimate job of Christ but to give glory to God the Father? And likewise, husbands should be giving glory to the Father as they give glory to their wives bringing attention to the glory of Jesus. This is a commandment not to rule over her, not to control her as a tyrant, and not to disappear as a cowardly abdicator, but rather to be somebody that humbly serves and loves their spouse. As Colossians chapter 3, again, the sister book of Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives. Listen carefully now, men. And do not be harsh with them it's a humble love that that word harsh literally means don't be bitter don't be angry here's a better word don't be irritated with your wives james 1 20 i think lets us know that it, it describes for us to a certain degree it helps us understand that one of the sins that men are prone to is anger And James literally tells us the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And what is this teaching us? What does the life of humility of Christ teach us? That men, you should not be harsh with your wives. You should not be angry or irritated with your wives. Are there reasons to be irritated with your spouse? Careful. Of course there is. I'd give you examples, but I want to live to see the rest of the day. All of us bring things to the marriage that make us irritable, but the man in the house is to be a humble, loving servant to his his wife. In verse 26, if if you see it again, look at verse 26 as he states to us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself. Verse 25, I'm sorry. Go to chapter 5, verse 1 again. We've been repeating ourselves to some degree. It's on purpose. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. How do we imitate God? Not just husbands, all of us. Walk in love. There it is again. Can you not see the major commandment of what it is to love that it's so important, so valuable within the church? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up. There's a humble love, a non-harsh love. Now in verse 26, we see that there's a sacrificial love. Husbands, are you willing to give up your rights for your wife? That's what it is to be a gospel-centered, spirit-filled husband. As stupid as the prenup is about the football game, 
you would hope that a husband would be willing to turn the game off for whatever reason for his spouse. See, a Christ-like love is what we would call a Golgotha love. A kind of love that's willing to experience pain. As one commentator says, Christ's back was scourged. His hands and feet were nailed to the wood. A spear was thrust into his side. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. All because he loved the church. Christ's sacrificial love is a foot-washing love. It's a love that's willing to do whatever is necessary for the overall good of his spouse. Men, marriage is a call to die. I don't know if anyone shared that with you in premarital counseling, but it is. Dying to self may involve sacrificing your schedule even your good amb- ambitions. It, it means giving yourself away for the good of your bride. It involves at times crucifying your flesh and resolving to be faithful to your bride, not yielding to the temptations of your lust or your anger and your pride. Again, men, if there's any reason for God to divorce you, he has it. If there's any reason for God to be judgmental of you, he has it. And yet he chooses a humble, sacrificial love where he chooses radical grace, not radical judgment over your life. What would your relationship with your spouse look like if you had a humble love that was willing to be put on the back burner, not to be put on the forefront, not to be the one fighting for your rights, fighting for your schedule, fighting for what you desire? Years ago, I had a youth pastor who was married to a a woman. They had two kids and and I went off to college, and a little bit later, I got the sad news that, that his wife had left him. And she began to enter into other relationships with other men and eventually got uh, remarried to another man. And I remember coming back from, from Bible college and, and coming back from my, my time in San Diego and sitting down with him and saying, what do you think went wrong? And I'll never forget his words. They're still clear to me today. I'm sure there's many other reasons why maybe their marriage failed, but the, the one in which he shared with me in this particular moment was he said, Jesse, I didn't make my wife's passions my passions. I supported her and told her, yeah, go for it. But I didn't pursue her passions in the same way that I pursued my passions. Instead, I would just say, yeah, go for it. You can do it. And what he realized in hindsight is that he should have gotten behind his wife and and known her in such a way that I not only know your passions, but I'll help you pursue your passions, sometimes even at the risk of my passions not being met. I remember when my father started to have his his daughters that that were my half-sisters and all of the things that he began to put on the back burner so that he could spend time with them. Even building cars became a secondary thing for him. Men were to have a humble love, a sacrificial love. But verse 26 continues on, and look at what he says here. He, he gave himself up for her that he might what? Sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word. What, what does this mean? Now, some interpreters and some pastors, I should say, have taken this and said, the application here is that men should be doing Bible studies with their wives. 
I'm not going to say that you shouldn't be doing that, but I think it's more than just that. I think it's more than just the husband saying, you know what, my job is to sit down every morning, open up the Bible, and lead her in a nice, healthy, exegetical morning devotion. First of all, is that intimidating to any men in the room? Some of you were like, exegetical what? You know, teach the word. It's more than that, though, I, I think, because first of all, you have to recognize, is it your ability? Do you have, as a man, the ability, based off the last two weeks of messages, do you have the ability to sanctify your wife and to wash her clean? The answer is no. Some men might need to hear that. Husband, you are not in control of your wife's sanctification. Husband, here's another way to say it, in case, in case that's too fancy. Husband, you don't get to change your wife. You don't get to control when your wife changes, how she changes, who she should be. You don't get to come in and say, you know, I really think that you uh, are a bitter woman. And now we need to sit down every morning. I need to wash you in the water of the word, and I need to teach you how not to be bitter. I mean, that's not humble love. <laughs> that's not sacrificial love. What is purifying love? Purifying love, washing her with the water of the word, is to declare to your, your wife not her ongoing sanctification. The passage is not saying, hey, you need to remind your wife and help your wife with her ongoing sanctification and growth. Rather, what you are to share with your wife is her positional sanctification. If you don't know the difference, one is to say, you're on a path. Every single one of us is on a path. We call that path sanctification. You started at point A, and God grows us, and we eventually, after 50 years, get to point B. Sanctification is arduous. It's painful. It's long, and it's not always as smooth as we'd like it to be. That's just the state that God is growing you from one place of glory to the next place of glory, that, that you are moving closer to Christ, but sanctification is really slow. How many of you still struggle with some of the same issues you had 10 years ago? Liars. Right, I, I, they, that you, you hopefully have improved, but it's just one step at a time. But rather what the man's job is, is to remind his spouse in this particular passage here of her positional sanctification, which is to remind her that before Christ, she is already presented without spot and wrinkle. The job of the husband is to say to his wife, you are pure, you are white as snow, you are accepted to him, you are lovely to him. He loves you for who you are and so do I. That's what it is to wash your wife in the water of the word. That she's already sinless before the Lord. This is to say you are to serve your wife with the gospel. She needs to hear grace from you. Here's the question. Is your wife more like Christ because she's married to us or to you? Or is she like Christ in spite of you? There's some women in the room that are like Christ in spite of their husbands. Thank you for your work in the gospel. Husbands, when was the last time that you walked up to your wife and you said, 
You are pure and white as snow. How come I only hear the ladies laughing? The men are like, three o'clock this afternoon. Schedule it. <laughs> Listen to this passage in Ezekiel chapter 16. It's a heavy passage. I'm going to warn you ahead of time, but it is scripture. Ezekiel goes all the way back and kind of sees, helps us to see how, how God sees his bride, which is Israel. This is what he says about Israel, about his people. He says, at their birth, they were not washed, but rather they were thrown out with no pity into a field. Do you hear what he just said of Israel? He said, you were a people that basically nobody cared about. You were birthed from your mother and you were thrown into a field for no one to even remember or think about. He goes on, he says, but I passed by you and I saw you wailing in your own blood. And then I said, you live. Then I made you to flourish and to grow. Verse eight of Ezekiel 16. Then I passed by you again and I saw you and behold, you were at the age of love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and I covered your nakedness and I made a vow to you and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. Now, if you're looking at the passage, you know it gets better, but the passage states, Israel was one thing, off to the side, not lovable, not cared for, wallowing in its blood, lonely, isolated, and God came and says, look at verse 9 of Ezekiel 16 if you're there. Then I bathed you with water. I washed all the blood off of you and I anointed you with oil and I clothed you also embroidered cloth and I shod your feet with fine leather and I wrapped you in fine linen and I covered you with silk. This is the spiritual condition of the gospel-loved, Christ-loved soul. Ladies, Christ has washed you with his own blood. He has removed his, all of your stain of sin from you. And instead, he has placed silk over you. He has anointed you with oil. This is a picture of his Holy Spirit. Wives, when was the last time your husband reminded you of that positional sanctification that's yours in Christ Jesus? It's a charge for us as men to remind our wives how beautiful the Lord finds her. It is your job, husband, to look at your wife and see what Jesus sees. I mean, I can't help it in my own mind as I stand before you and as I preach this particular message, but to have the beautiful face of my own bride set before me to know without a shadow of a doubt the kind of love that God has given my wife. Yes, I need to remind her of my love. I need to remind her of my commitment. I need to remind her of my sacrifices at times. But none of that is important as reminding her of the love that Christ has given her. 
My primary job is to just share with her, I love you. But my primary job is to share with my spouse, God loves you. God is behind you. God is your defender. God will walk with you through this parenting thing. God will walk through you with the rest of our marriage. God will walk you through your relationship issues. God will carry you through within your job. God is for you. God has married you. God has, has placed himself over you and covered you. That's what's going to get your wife through her day. Not you coming in and saying, I got this. I'm a man. You don't got this. You're a man. So we must have as men a purifying love, reminding our wives of their positional sanctification, but also a provisional love. He gave himself. Men, you are called to provide, to be a part of nourishing and cherishing your wife. Men, you have to be, you need to be an example of service. Service not only to your wife, service to God's bride, the church. Again, I place the call before you that if you are a a man in the room, you should be someone that is willing to say, I will step up to serve next door. Young children need to see that men are willing to give themselves up for the gospel. And we live in a culture, Truckee, California is one of those cultures. You'll have plenty of excuses over the next several months to not be at church, let alone to serve anyone in the church. Right? Powder's coming, man. It's calling my name. What really matters let me share something else with you real quick here. Can I, can you, <clears throat> the culture has put marriage on the back burner, but I just want to challenge you for a moment, guys. I just, just from, from, from some statistics, I want you to, can you put up that, the one slide for, for me? I don't know if you can see this. Behind me here is a chart that just basically says what it says at the top. The happiest people on the planet are married fathers. Do you see it? I know we can get statistics to say whatever, but just if you take a look at men that were surveyed here, this is ages between 18 and 25. Men with no children, unmarried, 14%. Men unmarried with children, single parenting, They're not as happy. Why? Because being a single parent is freaking difficult. That's hard. Men married with no children, right? Because it's just them and their spouse. That makes some sense. We just get to enjoy each other. Then you enjoy each other, and then what happens? Hopefully you jump over to this one. There's another chart after this one. You don't have to show it says the same thing for ladies. I just want you to see something. Within God's design, and I know that there is what people call the gift of singleness. I don't know if that's real or not, but, but it's, you know, singlehood's good too. The Bible does say use your single years, and if you're single, you are, you are focused on only one thing, and that's the gospel. But what this ultimately does say for those of us who understand God's gift of marriage, who are the happiest men? Those who are married and have children. Isn't that the opposite of everything you're being told? Because the society we live in doesn't say 
that, that you should have a providing kind of love, a humble kind of love, a sacrificial love, but you should have a self-centered love, right? Get your Jeep, get your toys, and play at all costs. But that's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of the gospel. We are called as men to not be idle, but to work hard for our wives. I mentioned last week, right? And I think it's important to state that traditional marriage isn't always biblical marriage. Yes, it's okay for a woman to run a Honda snowblower. But shouldn't we also bring back the days when men actually open the door for ladies? When men are willing to say, you know, I'll go lift the heavy thing. One pastor, his name's Joe Thorne. I really have come to enjoy him over the years. He's a smaller known guy, but still pretty solid. He says this to men. He says, let me encourage you not to be idle, but to take whatever job you can and glorify the Lord there until he gives you something better. Work hard, put in full hours. In doing so, not only do you glorify God and fulfill your part of your purpose, but, but you also become less of a burden on others and you're enabled to bless those around you. Loving God and your neighbor requires you to work hard now, but not to the extent that you don't spend time with your family. Now, I know it's, again, traditional marriage and what have you, but, but I, think, I do think that men should make an effort to be sitting down at least at dinner time with their wives and their children. My wife is insistent upon this because she didn't get that. As she was growing up, it was oftentimes, here's your food, and everybody just kind of spread out and watched whatever they needed to watch on TV in whatever room because now every room has a TV now, right? How much do we spend just looking at each other face-to-face and trying to encourage, especially amongst teenagers, and we know that they don't know how to speak to anybody anymore because they're all looking at their their phone, but then to say, okay, we're going to sit down, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to teach you, and we're going to walk, and we're going to actually have a conversation. I'm getting close on time here. Let me just share a couple more, and we'll, we'll break. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This point here is that a loving husband is a a husband that has relational love or knowing love. Do you see the words there, leave and cleave? It literally means, that word leave and cleave literally means to be glued to, to stick to. And to stick in such a way, husbands, that you are not only going to not leave them, but you are actually going to know them. And how do I know that this knowing is so important? Because of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understandable way. Or rather, what it literally says is, live with your wives by understanding them. Husbands, do you understand your woman? Am I even allowed to say it that way now? Your woman? (laughs) It literally means when it says in an understanding way, showing honor to give value to her. What it's stating here is not only do you leave, you cleave to her like glue and you know her. Husbands, do you know your wives? 
Do you know her relationally? Do you know where she's at within her theological knowledge of God, her positional standing? Do you, do you know where she is good in her spiritual disciplines? Uh, are you encouraging her to know where she loves to serve the local church? Do you care for her soul? Do you know her hopes, her fears, her dreams, her temptations, her, di- her, her disappointments? Do you shepherd her faithfully? Do you admire her? Do you compliment her? Do you know what makes her happy? Do you know what makes her sad? Do you know her dreams? Her disappointments? Do you know what relaxes her? Do you know what stresses her out? Do you know her? Do you really know her? It's not just the knowing biblical language of sex. It's the the knowing of who she is, her being, to know the details. And Christ was so good at knowing details, wasn't he? And just in a few little passages, you can see that that Jesus noticed the detail of Zacchaeus up in a tree. He noticed John's disciples following at a distance. He he knew the touch of a desperate woman while the masses surrounded him. He he watched in moments when he didn't think anyone else was watching, like the poor widow who who put the offering into the treasury. He just looked at all the little minute details. Do Do you know your wife's favorite drink? Do you know her? It's a knowing, understanding love that is encouraged. Why? Because Christ knows you so well. Are you a student of your wife? Because ultimately, lastly, we're to have a shatterproof love or a stubborn love. Right, husbands, you're, you're to be like Christ. You're to relentlessly pursue her as Christ relentlessly pursues us. It is a relentless pursuit. I again mentioned that word in verse 31, cleave, glued to, stick to. It literally means not willing to divorce. As Jesus told the church, behold, I'm with you. I'm with you until the end of the age. And what is the best ways that we can do this? I think in in order for us to cleave to our wife and, and to ensure that it's unbreakable, but to do as Isaac prayed. It literally says in the Old Testament, Isaac prayed for his wife. You know, right now we're told that the work of the groom, which is Christ, He's in heaven praying for the church right now. He's praying on your behalf. And husbands, likewise, you should be praying. That's one of the ways you, you pursue her endlessly by praying for her. Lord, strengthen her. Encourage her. Lord, give her the world and help me serve her in every way that I possibly can so that it will declare to the gospel the goodness of God. I think these kind of relationships that we've spoken of in the last several weeks, it'll help us celebrate our marriages and celebrate our spouses and to be thankful, to be thankful for what Jesus has done in us. I I also think it, it helps us to have actual fun in marriage because we no longer judge each other. We no longer look at the person's sin, but we see what Christ is doing in them. We don't fear intimacy and we don't fear confessing our sins to one another. And we, we don't fear repenting of our sins. We can do these things. 
And if you're single all of the last three weeks or, or if you desire to be married, or these are, these are things you should be praying for and pursuing so that you can be ready for the day that you stand before God and witnesses and you value marriage the way that you value the gospel and you're able to make those future promises to love in spite of whatever difficulties may come. It is my prayer that your marriage will be a proclamation of the goodness of God. You have to see what Christ has done for you. And only to the degree that you see what Christ has done for you will be to the degree that you can share those things with your spouse in your marriage. Which simply means in this room, some of us are are here and and our husband or, or our spouse or our wife is not a Christian. Which means it makes it almost impossible for these things to happen. Well, should we then not be praying for the conversion of those spouses that exist within our community. Praying that God would reach into the heart of that man and see that God is worth following. The hearts that God would reach into the spouse, the woman, that God would reach into her soul and change her. The emphasis is on Christ, amen? Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, indeed, this mystery is profound, but I speak of Christ concerning the church. Lord, there is within me so many different things that I know I would desire to to share, so many nuances, so many different ways that these things play out and are applicable. But at the end, it would be my hope and my desire that the only major thing that really we might be able to walk away with if it was just one thing is that it is you who is the perfect groom. You have already loved us, died for us, sacrificed for us, washed us clean. May each of us, whether it be husband or wife or single or dating or engaged, may we find all of our affection, worth, and value in you. Help us to walk pure now. Help us to have strong marriages. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I can't tell you when, when our fears will all fade, and a new season begins but i know somehow how the story will end see i believe god for more and if he did it before he will do it again 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 and again Fly.
planet got loud. 